So, um, so I'm here um, really in a kind of reflective space at this time. I was initially supposed to come here in 2019. I was going to talk about my book. Um, I was in conversation with the Republica team, and I'm so grateful to be here. But because of scheduling conflicts, because of changes, um, uh, I wasn't able to come. 2020 happened, obviously. And four years later, I'm here, finally on stage, um, and just really grateful to be here. Um, so thank you so much to Republica and to all of you for being here and for um, supporting this work. But it's kind of put me in a reflective mode about what's changed and what's changed for all of us. Yeah. Um, think about how much has changed in the world over the past four years, uh, this time of lockdown, this time of crisis. I've been wandering. I don't know about you all. Um, I just got back from the desert in Jordan. I was doing an artist residency with one of many studio. And I've just been thinking a lot about this particular moment in time, um, this moment in history, this moment in which so much is changing and so much is uncertain. And so I'm speaking today about a very different type of topic than, than the original plan in 2019, because I want to talk a little bit about magic and the future and how we think about and conceptualize the future, and how the future is told to us and sold to us. When I was growing up, um, I, so my ancestry is Filipino-Chinese, and when I was growing up, my grandmother would take me out into the forests in the Philippines, and she would say, watch out for the duende. How many of you have heard of duende? Yeah, some of you, yeah, right. Duende are like little elves or goblins or gnomes, you know, kind of like in Grimm's fairy tales, like little creatures living in the forest. And they will come out and they might trick you. Yeah, they might get you. And so you had to ask for permission. I'm coming onto this land, Duende. I come respectfully. I mean no harm. And so you come on and you ask for permission. Years went by. Um, Grew up in the West, in California, New York, and D.C. Kind of continued in an academic education, and I felt like I left that world behind. That world of magic, of mystery, of duendes and creatures in the forest. And started focusing on really like left-brain academic stuff. Started working in technology, had been in technology for the past 15 years. Building tools, building systems, thinking about the role of tech in society. It felt like a world away from all of that magic stuff. Fast forward to now, and it seems like uh, so much is on the rise with regards to magical things. How many of you know your astrology sign? Yeah, almost everybody, yeah. I'll come back to that. To this theme of cash, astrology is a $2.2 billion industry. Tarot cards, chakras, crystals, sound bowls, all these things, all these things that we think of as magical are on the rise, they're ascendant. They've been ascendant before the pandemic, but since the pandemic, they've, they've really been on the up and up. And I think for obvious reasons, they help us navigate uncertainty. But there's another form of magic that's also rising. Um, artificial intelligence, another big theme in this conference. The way we talk about AI is often through the lens of magic. Sometimes the products are literally called magic, right? Like Google's magic editor. And so we talk about tech through the lens of magic, and we talk about magic through the lens of magic, but also as tech. So there's this interesting intersection in these two narratives around magic that's happening right now. 
in this time of just a lot of change. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this quote. Yeah? The idea that advanced technology is almost synonymous with magic is, is a fairly recent idea in the history of human history. But in terms of recent technology, it, it dates back. It goes back. And so it begs the question, what is magic? What do we mean when we talk about magic? I've been on a magical journey. I started a podcast with two technologists, uh, Dorothy Santos, who's the executive director of the Processing Foundation, a technology and arts institution, and Xiaowei Wang, who has written a book that I highly recommend called Blockchain Chicken Farm. It's about Chinese uh, tech um, and society in rural China. Award-winning book, beautiful book. And we're all people who are also into magic, into tech, into magic. And so we started a podcast, Five and Nine. Been through three seasons talking about intersections of magic work, economic justice. I've been spending time with the Golden Dome School in the United States. It's a, it's a school that is looking at the role of arts and magic in society. And specifically how animism, the belief that the world is alive, that nature is alive, can be an antidote to capitalism, to capitalist thinking, that extractive notion of our relationship to nature. Chris Gosden, an Oxford professor, has written a book called The History of Magic. And he defines magic through the lens of participation. It's this idea that human beings participate in the universe and the universe influences and shapes us. And so if you believe that you're a Capricorn and you work hard, you believe that the planets are somehow shaping you that the universe is shaping your reality, right? If you follow the moon, you believe that you're participating in the way the universe works. That's one type of magic. Matteo Benussi with the Cambridge Encyclopedia of Anthropology has defined magic as a set of activities and technologies intended to manipulate invisible or immaterial agencies and energies to an advantageous end. And so these types of magic, um, I'm curious if these are familiar to you, these ideas of astrology, divination, earth magic, alchemy, energy work. These are different forms of what we might traditionally think of as magic, magical practices, magical thinking. I'll come back to this, but these ideas, these notions have always felt like they should be far away from technology. And I want to talk today about how they're actually closer than we think. Before I do that, I want to talk about how I think about magic. I think there's a lens here. There's a kind of a spectrum of magic. Um, this conference, I think for a lot of people, is magical. Yeah? Where you might watch a film that's magical. Magic can sometimes just be something that's inspiring. Or it could be like the tarot cards um, from the Rider-Waite-Smith deck as spirituality. Um, this particular image of the magician. Um, how many of you have seen this card, actually? Yeah, some of you, yeah, from tarot. This particular image of the magician is someone who's looking up and looking down, looking at the heavens, looking at earth, and seeing things as interconnected. And then there's magic as performance from this Euronymous Bosch uh, painting. So you can see the performer kind of doing magic, but look carefully at the little boy over there. He's quickly stealing from everybody, taking their money. So it's magic as performance, as distraction. So this is all these lenses of magic, right? It's a spectrum. It's hard to actually define. It's a very slippery word. But I think of one of the unifying factors of magic 
is this idea that there's more than our sensory experience that shapes how we live and think. Whether that's a point of inspiration, whether it's you believe that the planets are affecting your personality, or whether that there's like a great show going on um, and someone's being sought in half. All of these are forms of magic. And so now you're probably asking, what does this have to do with technology? What does this have to do with the future? What does this have to do with how we conceptualize the future? Narratives about cyberspace, about technology, have a history of being seen through the lens of the sublime. Vincent Mosco has talked about this, the digital sublime. I'm sure you're all familiar with this, this idea that technology is going to save us. It's this wonderful, beautiful thing. And Moscow has written that we need to challenge these narratives. Yeah? There are myths about cyberspace that are myths. They're mythos. And they question the naturalized tendency to see that we, they, they shape a naturalized tendency for us to see the future purely through logic, technical rationality, and linear progress. But this is its own form of magical thinking. In fact, magic is deeply intertwined with how we think about not just tech, but how we think about the future. Think about your image of the future. I've been asking people at the conference, actually. Um, some of the responses I'm getting is AI, flying cars. How many of you think of flying cars? Think about the future. Space travel, robots. Yeah. Why do I think about the future this way? Right? I've asked other people, and they think about we're living in the end times. Yeah, that, that we're, we're moving in this straight line towards some kind of end. That time is a linear thing and not a circular thing. This narrative is very old. This just launched, yeah. Look at the image. Yeah? That image of the goggles. Yeah? Look at how it's depicted. This is an illustration from the 1960s of essentially FaceTime predicting what the future would be. I love retrofuturism. But look at the goggles they're wearing. Yeah? This image of goggles of the future is a long story, a long narrative. And that particular image of being able to peer into things even dates back even further. It's talismanic, the talisman of Charlemagne. It has this kind of holy presence. This crystal ball, like look at how she's looking at through the crystal ball. Isn't that how exactly how you hold your phone? It's like this. This idea that you can peer through technology into the future. The artist Ingrid Bergton, working here in Berlin, actually ground down an iPhone. Um, they saw these same patterns, and they turned it into an orb, and taking one all-seeing object of divination and control, turning it into another, a kind of conceptual project. So ask us how we think about technology, yeah? These talismans. Open up your phone, what do you see? You see an icon. What's the history of the word icon? It has a spiritual significance. And when you turn on Instagram and you represent yourself, how do you represent yourself? Through an avatar. And this Hindu South Asian concept of a god who's coming down onto earth, representing himself through avatars. If you're running systems in the background, they might be called demons. The spirits from Greek mythology. Or you might be uploading your data into the cloud. The clouds have power, mystical significance, like here, appearing at the River Jordan. Your mice, probably pretty magical. 
And even something as prosaic as a logo, the Wi-Fi logo, it's referencing yin and yang, an ancient symbol of time, of change, of interconnection of elements. Sabine Lebel, an academic, has written that one of the most powerful and enduring discourses associated with emerging technologies is this technological sublime, in which technology is seen as intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually transcendent. This has consequences for how we think about tech. And it's an old idea. Those flying cars, that's been an image from hundreds of years ago, with the beginning of the Industrial Age. And this is uh, one image from, I think, the early, uh, late 19th century of like, what the future would look like. That vacuum tube company, sound familiar? A tunnel that you'll get bore through, move fast. The steam engine, automation. Self-driving self vehicle. And look at the images of flight. The story of flight is magical. It's telling us about what the future is going to look like. It's a future that's been told to us for at least 100, if not more, maybe 200 years. I love these ones. I mean, that's us right now, yeah, when you go home. I mean, literally, it's all of us wearing the headphones. Kind of getting information through, watching the opera at home. And this one here, this is a depiction of what the year 2000 might look like, of a teacher feeding books and information to be processed, digested, and then fed through the ears. What is that if not an LLM? These images of the future, again, have been told to us in so many ways. David and I has tied it to this idea of the American kind of technological narrative. Um, I think it's global now, by the way. But the sublime returned with the introduction of industrial age technologies. It rose in tandem with the apotheosis of reason, the rise of reason, and the advent of industrialization. Magical thinking and technology have been growing hand in hand for years. And so if you're thinking about the future as flying cars, if it's space travel, if it's robots, that story of the future has a very, very long history that's tied with industrialization, tied with capital, tied with cash, and tied with colonialism. And so it's consequential for a few reasons, but one of them, as LaBelle points out, is this, is that when we have this magical fervor about new technologies, we sometimes overlook then the consequences of industrialism. We stop thinking about the infrastructures, the social infrastructures, the political infrastructures, the other things that might be needed to support technology. Yeah? And so when I think about this image and I think about this moment we are in history, when we're thinking about the magic of new technologies, we're often missing the harms. Yeah? Thinking about the robots that are going to take over, when what's already happening is a climate crisis. What's already happening is inequalities of pay. What's already happening is algorithmic sentencing. Alexander Campolo and Kate Crawford have called this enchanted determinism. Again, the lens of magic. It's a discourse that presents deep learning techniques as magical outside the scope of present scientific knowledge, and yet somehow also deterministic about the way we know and handle data. 
I started to think about this as technocratic magical thinking. It's magical thinking that we often use in a pejorative that's only valid with regards to new and mostly digital technologies. It's moving towards a social end for which more technology is the only viable solution. And it's emphasizing, emphasizing some types of magic, power, capital, awe, achievement, over things like interdependence, social responsibility, respect for nature, personal transformation, beauty, the other senses in which you might use the word magic. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, again, how many of you know your rising sign in astrology? Some of you, yeah, your moons. How many of you know people who are really into astrology? Yeah. I'm sure some of you think it's um, total BS, and that's okay too. But what I find interesting about astrology is this idea that we're all shaped by larger things, by larger forces. No matter how seriously we take it, we just pay attention sometimes. And that's how I've been thinking a little bit about some of these ancient older magical traditions. Divination is opening us up to like non, thinking about non-linear time, about synchronicity rather than causation. Astrology is this idea of awe, of wonder, with the stars, connecting us back to the stars. Alchemy, transformation, energy work. If you do energy work, it's interdependence with unseen forces. And earth magic, respect for nature, thinking about nature not in an extractive way, but a relational way. And so it's through this lens that we can start thinking about, maybe there's a way to think about this moment of magical rise, to think about the future differently. What if the way we thought about the future was not technocratic, through technocratic magic, but through this idea of other magic? these other ancient wisdom traditions that have encouraged a different way of thinking. The visions of the future might end up looking different. Adrienne Marie Brown has started a project around climate futures, encouraging people to think about futures of climate that are not built on technology, but rather our relationship to the Earth. These stories of fiction start to look different. They start to imagine maybe a degrowth mindset, Maybe a world where our relationship to the earth is not extractive, but generative, relational. The folks at New Mystics, um, some of them artists in Berlin, uh, have started doing artistic projects that imagine a different magical relationship to the earth. Um, this is a wonderful piece by Himali Singh Soen that imagines letter writing to non-human beings, yeah, to the earth. And as the glaciers melt, these letters start to appear and emerge, and they reflect a new relationship with the climate, with the earth. Natasha Womack has written about Afrofuturism. And through these futurist dialogues, through her work, she sees the future as maybe more just. That sci-fi can be a way to talk about not a dystopic future, not even a utopic future, but something that's just a little bit more just, a little bit more equitable. It doesn't require new technologies, it requires new infrastructures, new ways of relating to each other in society. 
And in some indigenous American cultures, it's this idea of futurism through the idea that we have a responsibility to seven generations after us. And when we think about the importance of seven generations through the lens of food, it looks like a more equitable food system. It looks like food justice. So the way we frame and think about the future so often depends on which type of magic we believe in, which type of philosophical system is shaping our belief systems and our values. And it's so important that we understand this because our frame about the future shapes how we think about what's next for us, our hopes, our dreams, and where society can actually lead. Right now, that vision of the future is largely technocratic. When we change the frame, we start thinking about different people. Kimberly Drew, um, a co-editor at the book Black Futures, written about this with regards to our dystopic notion where everyone might be disabled in a pandemic. Drew points out that many people are already disabled. What can we learn? What does the present tell us about this possible future? And rather than thinking about time as this linear thing, which is a kind of teleological enlightenment concept, we return to this idea of yin and yang, of time maybe moving in a circular way. Yeah, Douglas Rushkoff talked yesterday about time maybe moving in a spiral. Maybe we learn from history. Maybe the thing that we think is an end, like blighted cities like Detroit, Adrian Marie Brown has written about this, are actually beginnings. In a place like Detroit, there's a beginning of something else. Capitalism looks different. It's actually about relationships and not the monetary value you can place on someone else. The pandemic may have felt like the end of so many things, but it was also the beginning of kind of a mass adoption of mutual aid, collective thinking, yeah? These ideas continue to percolate throughout society because we've embodied them, we've lived them. Those two are magical, I would argue. Futurist Nurbataina and Dr. Nandini Pandey have talked about learning from history. The idea of teleological time is a recent concept, but when we think about history, we can start to think that maybe what seems like end times is just the beginning of something new. Tyson Yukamporta, an indigenous scholar, said that we can start thinking about self-organizing, self-renewing systems. It's for custodians of reality, or custodians of time. That maybe this idea that we're coming to an end is not the appropriate way to think about things. And maybe as indigenous artist Kanupa Hanska Luger has written, has done, maybe we survive this and society starts to look different. Maybe that's a vision of the future that's a lot more optimistic, a lot more hopeful, a lot more compelling to work towards. It's just as magical, but it's a different set of values around what magic is and means. What are the stakes here? Like, why does this matter? Again, our visions of the future, they shape everything about how we think about what is possible. If your vision of the future is flying cars, space travel, robots, that's what we're hurtling towards. If your magical vision of the future includes interdependence, includes sustainability, includes community care, that vision starts to look different. The values start to look, operate differently. 
The challenge now is, what does a 21st century magic look like? Now, I want to be clear, I'm not advocating for a return to these ancient systems per se, because those too can be harmful. But we need new tools. We need new ways of understanding. There's a reason I think that astrology, tarot, chakra bowls, these things, right? singing bowls, are on the rise is because we're living in a confusing, changing, time of ever-changing crisis. Catherine May has written about this, and I want to read through the whole quote because I think it's important. The problem is that we're enduring this, this being the pandemic, but you could replace this with global conflict, with climate change, a burning planet, with so many things. We're enduring this in a disenchanted age when all of the magic has seeped away from understanding. We're no longer fluent in the language of folklore and mythology. We're rejecting the spaces in which we once worshipped, reflected, and congregated. Sometimes for good reason. But what's filling that gap? What's filling that hole? We've come to see ourselves as profoundly separate from the landscapes we inhabit. Superior things, we do things to the world instead of being woven into it. We're extracting. When we speak of nature, we mean not us. Bereft of the beliefs and practices that once sustained us, we're left picking over the carcass of our human experience. Science has helped us understand the what and the how, but we also need to understand the why and the for what purpose. Historically, magic has played that role. Here's that quote for people taking pictures. So coming back to magic, to summarize, to summarize where I think there's potential to disrupt technocratic magic narratives and to introduce other types of magic. Magic has a long history. It is an essential part of human life and flourishing. It's how we see our place in the world in the future. That's why technocratic magic works, because it speaks to deep human needs to understand our role in society, to understand how we influence and shape the universe and how the universe shapes us. And to be really clear, magic, like tech, can help or harm. The most important part is working intentionally with clear values, being intentional with the way we can think about magic, tech, society. But to not devalue magic, but to recognize it has a really important place in human society. There's a reason we turn to these things. And the question for you is, how do we reimagine this future? How do we reimagine futures beyond technocratic magical thinking and to include other types of magical thinking, care, compassion, sustainability, interdependence? And so when I think about this story, the story of the duende, I start to wonder, what, what is the more absurd magical thinking? The idea that there are little goblins and beasts living in the forest, or the idea that we can extract, extract, extract from the forest without any consequence. Which belief system do we want to carry forward into the world? This idea that we might want to ask permission, that we might want to ask for care as we enter the land, the earth, or the idea that this is all going towards some just end that's going to give us flying cars. The lens, again, through which we think about the world shapes how we think about the future. 
so to close, I want to close on purpose, on nature and interconnectedness. How many of you have had a, spent a lot of time in nature? Yeah. Out in the mountains, the woods, the deserts. How many of you felt wonder and awe? Yeah, like sublime. What's that about? Why does that emotion exist? These emotions of awe have an evolutionary purpose. They make us feel both small, right? You feel small in the face of maybe the stars, the mountains, but they also make you feel like you're part of something larger, part of a larger system. That sense of awe is magical. But that sense of awe reminds us of our social purpose. It takes us away from that extractive view and helps us respect and think about the world around us and the universe around us as shaping us and shaping our futures. And so, if this vision of magic is compelling, if this vision of magic is at all interesting, what I encourage everyone here to think about, all of us are working in technology in different ways, is to think about the values that you care about, think about the systems that you care about, and to think about the futures and build towards futures that are compelling, that are interesting, and that are magical, that help us understand our place in a planet that's burning, in a planet of deep injustice, in a planet that is changing significantly. Because as we do that, as we tell the stories of the future differently, we help people see that this world is both much larger than we think and also much smaller because we're all a part of it. And that world, too, is magical. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for Republica. And thank you for being magical.